If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highwood Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 112 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highwood Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. So this conversation you're about to hear is with a colleague of mine from over a decade ago, whose work I've been following on Instagram. She's a former yoga instructor who, much like me, found great value in yoga, but knew it was only one modality she wanted to pursue in her effort to become well-versed in understanding what it truly means to have a functional body. We share a similar story in having to make a deep dive back in our 20s to solve our own physical health challenges rather than agreeing to surgery as our first option. And she shares with me what she learned from this journey about the healing process and how it led her to the development of a number of programs she's created to improve core and pelvic floor function. Having worked in postpartum support and with athletes myself, I've come to learn that pelvic floor challenges, including incontinence, is something that is way more prevalent than most of us are aware of because people are often too embarrassed to discuss it with their friends, family, and even their healthcare providers. We tend to think of it as something that only older people struggle with, but pregnancy and overtraining as an athlete, as well as our sedentary lifestyles, can probably bring this on much earlier than we expect. And the good news is that there are ways to bring back proper function, and we'll share that with you here. Please enjoy my conversation with Lauren O'Han. So most people that I interview who have some kind of mastery in their in their work tends to come from some kind of you know personal health challenge, and I'm guessing that you had one, based on the work that you're I, doing. <laughs> did it did? So I have been teaching movement since um, for 20 years, more than 20 years now. Yeah. It's always like I love saying that, but then I'm like that just gives away my age, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm in the I'm, same place. I'm open. Yeah, I'm open <laughs> about being. 44. Um, so, you know, I, I was, uh, like a longtime yoga lover and then became a yoga teacher and my body is very, very flexible. Okay. Um, and so I, in my early twenties, which is really young, I herniated three discs in my lumbar spine and I was living in another country and, um, they, a country, Israel with extremely advanced medical technology, And they did an MRI and they were just like, you need surgery to yesterday. Um, your discs are a freaking mess. Um, you're a mess, you know, the whole nine yards, yeah, right? All the yeah. pathologizing, all the diagnosing, all the fear monger. Yeah. Um, so my father had gone through a lot of failed back surgeries and my mom was like, under no condition are you having back surgery. Like, I'm flying over. I will help you. Do not have surgery. And so she's like a good Jewish mom like that. So (laughs) I didn't have surgery. Yeah. And I didn't have surgery, but it was excruciating. I mean, it was really, really painful because I was in really bad shape. And um, I was in a lot of pain. My right leg was really atrophied. I had a lot of nerve damage. I couldn't feel my foot. It was ugly. It was bad. Most people were like, you're stupid. Like, there's surgery for a reason. And it helps people. And I was so stubborn, which is very much like when someone says do that, I'm like, I'll just do that. So I, um, I, it took me a year and I rehabbed my back. One of the first things I did was like read a great book about pain, which helped like bring down my pain significantly. What book was it? Healing Back Pain by John Sarno, of course. course. Like, yeah, <laughs> the the entryway into you know the psychosomatic, biopsychosocial aspects of yeah, pain. Yeah, and it really was useful because um, yeah, it reframed things for me. And um, then I started in with Alexander Technique and Pilates, just like religiously, just yeah. and I couldn't get into a car 
And I had to walk like eight miles a day to get to this Pilates place. So I was just like doing a ton. This was after an initial three months where I couldn't even move because I was so badly injured. Um, And so it was slow, 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 slow. And then I, you know, fast forward to where I am now, you know, and during that process, the doctors, when they found out I wasn't going to do the surgery, were like, well, you can expect that, like, you'll never have vaginal birth and you'll never this and you'll never that and expect to be in life of pain and you'll never go back to dancing and yoga. Like, forget about that. You know, so none of that, of course, came true. I had three babies. They were all born vaginally, you know. And um, But it really, it was so eye-opening because I dug so many shallow wells looking for water. Yeah. Instead, And when I finally found the one well that was very useful, I just stuck with it and I was consistent. And it took a long time to see changes. And so it really influenced how I work with the body. I just got very interested in like, working smarter and not harder, giving up the whole shred and burn. I don't focus on form. People, you know, people come to me and they're like, I hate my mommy pooch. I'm like, I'm probably not the right trainer for you then. You know, I don't utilize like we're here to get thinner, strong, like flatter, better. I don't do that. Um, And so, you know, I was living in Brooklyn, as you know, that's how we met. And I was working a lot with people in, you know, birthing people, And a lot of birthing people just started having a lot of core-based issues. My back issue was a core-based issue. And so I just got very interested in all these core issues, diastasis, hysterectomy, prolapse, incontinence, um, painful painful penetration, Mm -hmm. things like that. And so um, that's how I got into this work. And so while I don't... It's funny, my niche is so much more pelvic floor health and core health, but I do get loads and loads... Like all of my male clients come to me for either erectile dysfunction or lower back dysfunction. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with the women, it's a lot of prolapse, diastasis, and chronic back pain. Okay. Now, I didn't realize you and I had such a similar background story because oh, I- I don't know your background well, I story. Well, I ended up in the same kind of thing. I, I was having, you know, I mean, I actually started having back problems, I think in my teen years. And then by my mid twenties, I was had the same thing. I had, you know, herniated discs and- I had, you know, a lot of sciatica issues and it was just like constantly flaring and going out. And, you know, that was what led me. I was an English major. I wasn't even planning on going into this sciences. <laughs> and then, oh, my gosh. I was a journalism major. Yes. I went to NYU and studied journalism. <laughs> that is so funny. So so I ended up, yeah, I, I ended up going to massage school just to learn. Like I, I had no plans of, of going into this as a career. And then, Well, you that's know, why I did Pilates just because. I was interested in yeah. just learning more. Same thing. And and I was I'm a little older than you, so I started doing Pilates in like the you know late '90s because I you know someone said oh this might be really good for your back. I was just trying anything because I wasn't I wasn't having any success with same thing with doctors like they're like well and a lot of them were actually treating me more like well you're a young guy you'll be fine like these are <laughs> the, the, we'll send you to PT these are the exercises I didn't I didn't I don't think I'd got I think PT wasn't quite as advanced at that point either you know it was very sort of millish yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I went to a chiropractor that actually flared things more, but I had the same thing. I had like hypermobility issues and I didn't realize it until, did you ever work with Christine Bratton, the PT? No, in, in is, she in, is she at, um, she, she was okay, at, Mark, no. at Mark Morris. So she's the one oh, who okay. basically finally figured out like in my early thirties that I had this ligament laxity issue. And you do. So you have Ehlers-Danlos? I mean, you know, it hasn't been diagnosed exactly as that, but but maybe yeah. maybe if you could explain what that is, that might be really helpful for anybody who... Because I don't think I have that, by the way. Okay. I don't consider myself hypermobile. I consider myself very flexible, but not hypermobile. Me, me, me too. I, I mean, I'm happy to I have like my, my joints and my hands will just flatten down to nothing, you know, like... So yeah, like all my, you yeah. know, I mean, I'm, I'm like super, super flexy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but mm-hmm. I, but my, but my back will actually get tight because my, my ligaments get so loose. So then I, then I go the through muscles. these, yeah so, yeah. so, so then I can go into like muscle spasms and I, my hips can get tight and yeah, I, or have, I get that response. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Same. Although I've never had another flare up of disc herniation, interestingly enough. And then a year post injury, I did another MRI at the request of doctor that I was seeing. And, um, I still had the disc herniations, but no pain. Uh, so I was like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Which is a very common finding now. Yep, we yep. know that. Right. Yep. So I wasn't alarmed at all. Um, but I haven't had any recurrent back pain, but what I have had is a pretty pesky sacroiliac joint Yeah, me too. that has not gotten totally resolved. Yeah. And I'm actually in need of a great 
adjustment. <laughs> I should text you about someone in yes. New York who's going to be there now. <laughs> um, but and w- what I'll do is like every five years, I'll get an adjustment and it will last me years. Yeah. I'm in a place now where it's like not happy. Urgh. That's well, the one place where I get is my SI joint. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, that's what actually led me into craniosacral therapy was because it, it, I liked the low force aspect of it. Sometimes if I would get an adjustment, it would just like flare up my SI joints and, and they wouldn't, they, mm. then they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, that, that inflammation response or whatever would just kind of stick around. It would aggravate something in the tissue. And then all of a sudden I was sort of, you know, flared up. Whereas I found more gentle, you know, therapy and even the, you know, the movement-based stuff for me, I, I have to, I have a feeling you're the same way. Like I have to do some kind of movement work every single day or, oh, or, yeah. or it gets kind of cranky. And, and in some ways oh, yeah. it's great because I've stayed in really good shape because of it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I was a little frustrated that how come none of my friends have to do any of this work? <laughs> I know it's true. And I do go to the gym. I tell people I go to the gym 10 times a week <laughs> but it, because it's true. I mean, I go to the gym every morning at the crack of dawn and I'll just stay for a few hours because I'm very slow with how I work with yeah, my body too. Yeah. So, but it's true. Like I love going to the gym, not because I'm looking for like a shred, right. but because my body craves movement. Yeah. Yep. Really craves it, but yep. I've had to figure out how to move in a way that is like really appropriate for me, my system. Yeah. So, did you start out as a yoga teacher? Then is that was that your, yeah. your main thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started out as a yoga teacher, and I very quickly became dis. I'm, you know, I question a lot of systems, and I'm yeah. very weary of systems. Yeah. And I'm very weary of where it becomes very black and white, and this is the way to do it. It has to look like this, and where it becomes very like it has to look like this and this is the right alignment and this is the right form. And, um, and then when there's like leaders who are like, you know, everybody just wants to be Girls. around them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved yoga for the euphoria feeling that you can get from yeah. just quieting your, for me yeah. that I could get from quieting my nervous system down. I would exit in a state of euphoria. I would float down fifth Avenue. And I loved that. Yeah. Um, but I really started getting disenamored and disenchanted with a lot of what yoga was. And as a as a white Jewish woman, it also didn't feel right to be like appropriating so much. Uh, yeah. Felt I really weird yep. and not right. Um, you know, and I've grown up, I didn't grow up in America. I grew up overseas. I okay. grew up in Asia. And so like, I've always been an outsider to other cultures and yeah. I'm happy to just look and respect yeah. And with yoga, it just felt like all oh, these white women wearing their robes and their bindis. And I was like, oh, this is not for me. So, yeah. and I did, I wanted to teach the poses different. Like I didn't want to lock out my knees and I didn't want everything to be so straight. And I didn't want to arch my back. And I was like, God, there's, am I allowed to just be a rebel here? And so it didn't feel right anymore to even call what I was teaching yoga. Cause I was like, I'm not doing prayers. I'm not saying namaste. I'm mm-hmm. not homey. I don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah. I love the shapes, but actually you can find those shapes in fitness. Like and nothing about yoga is actually that unique to yoga except for sitting the sitting meditative aspect. Yeah. So, you know, I just start, stop. it was hard to, like, I will still say I'm a yoga teacher, but more and more I'm like, I'm a movement teacher, I'm a movement teacher, yeah. I'm a movement teacher. Yeah. And it sucks not having like a kind of a home base. To, but, but now I'm like, well, I'm the founder of RYC, this, you know, movement thing. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. Um, I've, I've struggled with yeah. that because I work between bodywork fields and movement, you know, like, and and I, I was just interested in like, I mean, a lot of my own study just came from trying to figure out what, what I could do to solve some of my own problems in the beginning. And, yeah. then, and then you start seeing them over and over again with your clientele. And I, I just started to feel like the same thing. I studied Pilates. I got into doing Alexander work. I got into, I got into yoga for a while in New York for like four or five years. And, and then I, and then I, you know, found like a functional movement model that just was like, well, it's, it's, it's kind of all of those things and none of those things at the same time. Yeah. I liked, I liked, I, I studied through NASM. So it was all these, okay. like, you know, the, it was, everything was like a progressive, a progressive series. And I, and I liked that in terms of safety it was like, you have to pass through this step to get to this next level yeah. of it and, and in terms of challenge right. and load and all that stuff. And I, I was not, I didn't really feel like load was the was the big thing that I needed to do with people. I felt like mobility had to come first 
And I needed to see all those joints move in the right way. And once once I could get that happening, then we can start adding and challenging and, and just, you know, even see, seeing what your potential is in terms of what you can do with plyometrics or all these different things. So yeah. that's kind of how I built it in. But I also got to then go hands-on with people at the same time. So I could, sometimes I would train right. them and do body work with them. And I just right. got so much information that way. Yeah, I've had a lot of body workers go through my teacher training program mm. specifically because they're like, I'm kind of just tired of working with people on the table and would love to be able to give them some off the table stuff, but I don't even know where to begin with that. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I can see how it's important, like how for you, it would be so interesting to do both. Yeah. So, so the, the, the thing that I, I was so drawn to in terms of what you're doing on Instagram and I mean, I've kind of dug through some of your stuff on your website and YouTube as well, but the, there's what, what an amazing medium for you to be able to do this work. And I, and I also have from having a podcast, I know how much work those videos take <laughs> and, you know, I, it's, it's like, but, but they're, but, but the conciseness of them is, is one of the reasons that I, I got drawn to them. And those, those movements, as, as we're talking about, they're, they're kind of slow movements and they're very specific, but to understand sort of how the, how the core stabilizes through these movements, understanding with, where the shoulders need to be or how they need to stabilize and, you know, n- not necessarily going for these like extreme forms, but actually the, the ways in which, and this was, you know, back to functional movement model. I just looked at these different movements as being like the part of the reason we named everyday athlete, the name that it, that it was, was because we, we yeah. saw everything in, in life in terms of how we move as being sort of an athletic movement and how yeah. do you train for the, the basics of your life. Right. How and, do you and, train just to get up in the morning? And, right. and, and that's what I see you doing, you know, with, with, with these movements. And also, even though you're, I think you've, you've, you've been asked by the community probably to go even deeper into like the pelvic floor dysfunction and diastasis and, and prolapse and everything, you're still looking at the system as a whole, I can tell by the way that you're doing all these things. Yeah. And it's interesting because I got back on, I was off Instagram for so long and then I got back on it what feels recent to me, but I guess it's not maybe a few years ago. And it was, um, so I started by having a Facebook group. Like when I went to the online world from in person yeah. and I, we were leaving Brooklyn and moving to Miami and I was like, okay, I'm done doing the in-person stuff. I want, uh, we had spent a year traveling. We'd gone to India and Cambodia and Thailand. And I was like, I want to be able to kind of just scale more and there's like this, everyone like, let's go online. All right. Let's do that thing that people are doing. Yeah. And that was like in 2015. So there weren't a lot of people online in my field whatsoever. There was yeah. one other woman. I did a lot of research. And so, you know, I started this Facebook group because I was like, well, I'm on Facebook. I wasn't on Instagram then I'm on Facebook. And um, in this group that I was in, people kept asking about core and pelvic floor dysfunction. So this group that I was in was a very n- n- natural movement Group. They wanted barefoot shoes. They wanted to sleep on the floor. Crawling is best. Like, you know, stretch out your calves as much as you can. Like all that stuff, right? Yeah. And so there was a there's a teacher, a very famous teacher that people love called Katie Bowman. I don't know if you've heard oh, of yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very much involved in her world. I had done her teacher training, and so I was in this group of people who were big fans of Katie. And they had a lot of questions about core and pelvic floor, and I kept answering questions. And then I was like, God, I should just create my own group. So I created a group called Restore Your Core, and it was this Facebook group. I didn't have a program yet. There was no plan <laughs> for a program yet. And then I was like, I should create a program around core and pelvic floor because this is what everyone wants to know about. Yeah. Everything I said, every time I answered questions, I was like, it would be so much easier if I had a way to kind of give them more because this is just like such a, this question doesn't, it's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So then I created the program and I'm really lucky because I have a partner who's a online business strategist. That's That's what he does for a living. And he's incredible at it. And he helps people who are good at what they do scale. He has no website. You can't find him. You can't even Google him. He's only word of mouth. And he's brilliant at what he does. So I was his first client. So he was like, and at the time he was working at a big bank in New York City. So he was like, all right, I'll take you on as my side project. We're going to build this thing. And so we built this Restore Your Core online program. And we have over 10,000 members on the program. And so my Facebook group was really where I was active. And in there, I can write like a 45 page thing about the core. But then how do you translate that to Instagram where people want it stupid? 
They yeah. want it. Like they don't really, uh, my posts where I try to be more informative. Like I did a post yesterday about the cough test, why the cough test is kind of a bullshit test. Yeah. Uh, nobody's paying attention, yeah. but I talk about like how to have a better orgasm. Everybody's paying attention. Right, I know. I you know, know, so it's been so interesting because I got off Instagram because I don't like to just keep it stupid, simple, but you have yeah. to. Yeah. And being married to somebody who's this marketing guru, online guru, business strategist, he's constantly just like, no, do it like this and do it like that. And, do, you know, we have we have a team of 25 people who work with us now. Like we're oh, not wow. alone. Right. So yeah. we built our business to we have tons of support, but I still do all my own social media and it's not easy. So I, I thank yeah. you that you appreciate it because. It's really difficult. Like I dumb it down. Like I'm releasing something today or tomorrow on like radiculopathy, herniated discs. Yep. yep. Like five, four exercises for disc herniation. Like actually that if you really do them, like it, like, but does it work? No, yeah, you, yeah, it works. But you actually like, it, that's the tip of the iceberg. It yeah. works, but yeah. you know, that's, a, and everybody wants that. They want instant, you yeah. know, like the filter. They want the instant filter that makes <laughs> right, everything look right. brighter. <laughs> really hard with the body because the body is like the nervous system is slow. <laughs> well, that's that's a lot of my a lot of the work that I've kind of gotten into now is I I, I really treat from a more autonomic nervous system perspective. Like yeah. you can't you can't get someone even to do the exercises when they're in this like extreme sympathetic fight or flight mode. And so that's you know now the way I treat is craniosacral first then body work to start working on some mobility if they have, you know, challenges or to, you know, get some of the symptomatic stuff to quiet down and then into movement. So and, Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you say it that way though because so many of my clients who 1000% need to de-stress first yeah. and come to me second. Yeah. Unfortunately, their mind where they are with what they want is just fix me now. Totally. And if you say to them, right, but I want to get you to the point where you're just like in relaxation mode, they're going to be like, okay, bye. And sometimes you have to just go in the, so it's nice though that you do body work on them because that's still somebody else doing something to them. Yeah. Whereas if I tell them, like, I think you could use some somatic experiencing, some Hannah somatics and Feldenkrais, they're going to be like, uh, so you want me to go and do the heart? Like, no, just tell me what to do now. To, like, they want to stay jacked up without realizing that right. that's where they want to right. stay right. because they just want to fix. And they don't, they're not willing to recognize how the nervous system, like it's, it's not that they're not willing to, it's not where they're at right now. Right. And, and I, I, I find an intake yeah. sometimes I'll get, I'll get like, if, if you show it to them on paper, if, if, if you're like, okay, well you have, you have some disc issues, obviously that we, we have, you know, we have an MRI for this, or we have evidence of what's going on physiologically, but you also have GI issues, you have chronic headaches, you have all these things. Those are not going to be fixed you know, by simply, you know, getting on a treadmill and pushing really hard. But I do think eventually movement is the answer to like yes. balancing all sorts of, I mean, the, the body is a, you know, a series of complex systems that actually will take care of it, it themselves right. when we get to that point. Yeah. But what, but when we get so far down the rabbit hole, we got to get that nervous system back to balance first and then start kind of moving forward. I mean, that's, I've just, yep. I've also made the mistake too many times of trying to like push somebody early on when they're not even, when you can just tell, you know, after I've done it enough times that that system is not ready to do this kind of challenging work. Yeah. But on the other hand, telling someone, no, like telling someone, well, I think you need did it where that's not where they're at, yeah. just pushes them away and they'll go find someone well, else. Yeah. To oh, them. totally. So I like to give them what they think they need. But then also start to like yeah. peel the layers back slowly, me, me too. like one, like soften them like butter. Okay, yep, yep. got it. Like, you know, because people will if they start with my program, they'll ultimately then once they're bought in energetically, yeah. it's easier for me to then talk to them about their nervous system and their stress levels and their cortisols and how stress affects the pelvic floor. Whereas when they're not really energetically bought in. And the energetic buy-in comes from just purchasing. Like you give money and then you're energetically drawn into someone. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, that is, that is like how the world works. That's yep. how the human, human nature works. And so it's interesting. Like healing is interesting. I was telling this story yesterday in my teacher training about a woman, a client of mine who had a really, really, really bad prolapse. And before she was working with me, this is what happened to her. She had a really bad prolapse. And so she scheduled surgery. She went to the urogynecologist. And of course, the urogynecologist was like, I have a fix for that. Let's have surgery. And she was like, yes, let's do it. 
but it was COVID. And he was like, but so the waiting, like you can have surgery in seven months. So she was like, you know what? Um, okay, I'm going to have surgery. I'm going to go do any workout I want. She'd been so afraid of making her prolapse worse that she'd stopped working out, which is truly what she loves. Mm -hmm. So she loves to work out and was like, her prolapse was so stressful. And then not exercising was like a bazillion times more stressful. And all of that, and her, she just said, I'm going to go do, it's like, you know, before I have surgery, I'm just going to do anything I want. And she joined a gym and just went, like was doing all the workouts she loves and her prolapse got better. Mm-hmm. And that's when she found me. She canceled her surgery and she's like, well, maybe there's something that's interesting. She was like, had I, like, I stopped moving. I stopped doing ex- everything. And the minute I just let it go, but is it, it was it the exercise or was it just this abandon? Yeah. Right. Like some what helped you yeah. get better? Right. Yeah. Was it right? Because in my world, if somebody was like, I have prolapse and I want to go do PX 90, I'd be like, um, I don't know if that's the best choice <laughs> right. today. Right. Right. But this is what she did and yeah. it worked. I feel like if you're listening to that to, to your body too, and you and, and the way that you teach is sort of like you know go gently into it, you can start to kind of get a sense of well this works for me. No, this I can feel the prolapse or I can feel the tightening in my pelvic floor, whatever it is. So before we get into all that, all this actually, we should probably for anybody who's listening because I think a lot of people don't even realize they have some of these dysfunction issues. <laughs> mm. to, to maybe to maybe explain what the pelvic floor is. And then, and then I, I think a lot of people don't learn much about, you know, the, their body, the, their, the, like as far as prolapse is concerned about the, you know, uterus, yeah. uh, vulva, vagina area and have any, any idea of what might be going on there. Yeah. So I, it's funny. I see people, not funny, but it's interesting. The, the clients that I see with pelvic floor dysfunction are either very, very young athletes, like mm. very young gymnasts and like, kind of like CrossFit, not to poo-poo CrossFit, I've done CrossFit. Like, I'm not against it at all. Um, So, you know, people who are in very intense, uh, and they're young, right? And just tight. And then um, people having babies, birthing people, right? And then premenopausal, menopausal. And the premenopausal, menopausal people are shocked by their issues because they're like, I have never had a pelvic floor issue. Why am I suddenly leaking or having this issue? So, um, you know, pelvic floor issues show up at those kind of three, but they can show up at any point, right? Um, And the pelvic floor is our biggest, it's two things. I I consider it like kind of two, but maybe more, but maybe less, two ways of talking about it. It's a shock absorber system. So it's there to like mitigate, like to absorb, like to absorb shock, right? It has so many things pressing down on it. It has the organs of the pelvis, the organs of the whole, you know, everything is pressing down on it. Yep. Um, and, and it has to respond, right? So it has to have this response to it. If, 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 a if the door of my closet were to fall on me, my response would be to push it back and, to, yep. you know, make sure it doesn't do that. But I don't tell my arm, do. that's right. And I don't tell my arm, Hey arm. Now I don't plan that sequence out. It's so quick. Yeah. And so the pelvic floor is also designed to be responsive, right? And the core is designed to be responsive, although it's so interesting how so many people try to then tighten it up and, and pull it in and pull it tight and squeeze it in. Why are you doing that? Right. Your body has this. You don't do that. You don't walk around like this all day long or like this all day long. Right. Why would you walk around like this tight and contracted in your and pelvic floor, right? Oh, is, isn't it also responsible for drainage, uh, like like managing drainage in some ways too? The pelvic floor is responsible for like sexual function, right. evacuation. Yes, it, yes, absolutely. The pelvic floor is responsible, but it's responsible for those things. But I also see it like in the bigger scheme of things, it's its job also is to be this conduit as well. So it's like a shock absorber. Yeah, right. It how it's obviously responsible. That's where sexual things happen. That's where babies pass through. That's where evacuation happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also responsible. And then it's also a conduit, right? It's a conduit of load transference. The load kind of transfers up to the legs and the way like I like to think of integrity. People are always like, what does it mean to be functional in your body? Yeah. And I like to think of it that like our bodies are when they're functional, which is an ever changing thing. And there's not one optimal thing that's functional that we're all striving for. Right. But I like to think of like a functional body is where like the loads from the feet get to the head. 
Like, yeah, yeah. like the, you know, the, whatever's happening down at the level of the feet can pass through the system and create rever- reverberation above. Yeah. Um, when that, when the body is available to that, we get that when there's tightness and constriction, um, we get what I like to call like a leaking out. Like if you open like a drain tap and the, like we, it doesn't pass through at some point kind of, um, we stiffen somewhere and the loads are not transferred and, you know, compensation patterns can develop around those areas. Yeah. So the, the pelvic floor and core are a conduit for that, right? Like we've got loads coming up through the legs. We've got pressure coming down from above and the core and pelvic floor work together synergistically with the diaphragm and the spine. Yeah, with the breathing system. Um, yeah. Yes. With the breathing system to create this pressure system yeah. um, that can absorb shock and act as a load transference Mm, intersection yeah right it can stiffen for support it can unstiffen for support right um so that's when people say like what's the pelvic floor like that's what the pelvic floor is it's a whole system designed for all of those functions but also designed to respond it's like the first like we respond and 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 one of the human movements the most primal human movement of walking is all about load transference and the core being a conduit, yeah. right? Like walking is all about that harmony of those different events. Yeah. These yeah. micro events that create this kind of grand movement of walking. Yeah. And, and, and the way that I've taught, because I've done a lot of core work and I've done a lot of postural, you know, correction work yeah. is, is really about trying to understand how these things work. It's not about you know, fixing the, you know, posture per se. It's really about being aware of how everything sort of stacks up, how your rib cage stacks over your pelvis, you know, where your feet positions are, you know, where your shoulders and head are so that you kind of have this sense of balance. And and there, it, at the end of the day, I don't want someone to have like this really hard military posture. I want them to have ease in yeah. in those movements. And that's kind of where like, we're, we're talking about tone when it comes down to this stuff, right? I mean, we're trying to, toning the, the pelvic floor is really about, its ability to con- be able to contract as needed, but also to be able to to loosen up and move with with change. Yeah, and like every muscle in the body, I like to talk about the pelvic floor. Like every muscle in our body goes through. Like I can do this to my bicep, right? I can contract right. my bicep, contract yeah. it, right? but I can also contract it this way, right? Yeah. And every muscle in our body, I can contract it eccentrically, yeah, right? So yep, I can exactly. I can tighten it up this way, and I can go this way. And people often think of the pelvic floor, and they think. It only has two identities, tight or loose. Right, right. And then I'm like, well, first of all, there's no loose in the body anywhere. Like things aren't really right. loose in our bodies. We're always like, there's always this resting tone. So, you know, and, and my clients will get very frustrated because I have a lot of clients who have hypertonic pelvic floor. So their pelvic floor muscles are yeah. too tight, too yeah. contracted in a state of constant. And it causes so much tension and pain and painful sex and yeah, all of that. I see more of that. Inability to orgasm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's rampant. So, and they'll come to me and their practitioners are like, but just relax. Just relax. And that is like the most frustrating thing you it, can that, tell it someone. Never, it never works just, that way. You don't just relax. You need to be put in a state to relax. Like you need to offer your body the ideal conditions, like a beach and a drink to relax. Like yeah. how do you give your body those ideal conditions? Because just telling your body to relax is the most frustrating thing to do. So we train for that. We train so that the body can respond, but then the body can be at its normal resting tone, which doesn't have to be loosey goosey easy. It just has to be not yeah. not ready. Not in this high alert, I'm ready to go. Right. And that's that, that's that um, autonomic part of things, right? We we yeah. know that when we're in when we're, you know, maxed out, you know, sympathetically, when we have, you know, that the, the that side of the energy system, you know, it takes takes a lot of energy from us. It also pumps, it's cranking cortisol and adrenaline and all these things. So we're depleting ourselves on a certain level that doesn't even allow for that change to happen. And I right. when I talk about getting the parasympathetic response up. Parasympathetic system likes mood, like you're saying. Like, it it likes you know to be on vacation and have you know low lighting in the space that it's yeah. in. You know, that's that that's and that's where sexual function comes from as well. So, if, yeah. you, if you're in that in that fight or flight state all the time, it's not only is it going to contract all sorts of things and allow for a lack of flow through different systems, but it it just it it won't even get relaxed enough to do some of the thing, fun things that we want to do. 
Yeah. And I like to talk about, it's so true. I like to say that like, if you walk into a porta potty, you're not going to take this big, deep, delicious breath, right? You're not going to be like, you're going to go through this series of events in your body to survive that moment of being in the porta potty, but to, to still pee, like to pee poo, whatever you have to do to evacuate, right? Yeah. Like to get your business done. Um, but at the same time, you're going to get your business done and shut down another system so that you don't have to experience the disgustingness of it. <laughs> and, and that's how our lives are too. Yeah. Like, we get our stuff done, but sometimes shit stinks all around us. Yeah. And what our bodies do is create these um, survival tools, yeah. right? Like our body doesn't consult us. They create these, it creates these survival tools, which we can't villainize. Like if we villainize the body, our starting point is crap. Yeah. We're like below, we're like in hell, right? You can't villainize the body. That's dumb. Your body only wants one thing, survival. Your body wants homeostasis, survival, yeah. verticality. That's it. Like it wants you to be vertical and to survive. It's not trying to optimize every system in itself. That's yeah. not what it does. Yeah. So when we find these patterns to survive, trauma, life, difficult relationships, difficult work experiences, whatever it is, we can't then say, I'm so bad. You're so bad. Like, you know, you villainize that. We actually have to applaud and be like, how amazing that your body found a coping tool, yeah. but maybe that coping tool is no longer really serving you. So let's have a look at that coping tool and see if we can't replace it with a coping tool that might serve you, your system, like shoot more birds with one stone. We can actually create a coping tool that can help you feel good and not like rob you of something else. Right. And so, and I think what the healing world sometimes does is it villainizes um, it villainizes these coping tools, like tight pelvic floor is a coping tool. Yeah. Jaw, tense jaw is a coping tool. Absolutely. Constricted rib cage is a coping tool. That started because you didn't want to smell the shit in that porta potty. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Clap yourself on the back that you had a way to survive that and that like your nose didn't malfunction in that porta potty and you didn't have to inhale all that. So, you know, it's important that we um, take these things also for like more of a face value rather than like there's so much judgment when we look at people and Absolutely. their bodies and their postures and their coping mechanisms and their tight pelvic floors. And instead, just take a more like people are get very upset about like a diastasis recti, right? The separation of the abdominal wall. But I'll tell people like, well, maybe your body was just trying to make more space for your pregnancy and that's how it knew how. Like yeah. that was its coping mechanism. Absolutely. Pop yourself on the back that like you like had that, your body had a, had a way to figure that out. Um, so yeah, I, our nervous systems are, are such a, like going back to what you were saying, like there's so much in it with the, the down regulating the nervous system, but we can't do that also until we just acknowledge and applaud the state that I we're think currently that's, in. That, that's, that's such a good way to, to think about it too, because I, I, I think we, we, we do have to sometimes, as you're saying, sometimes the, the, the world around us, there's a shit storm going on and we're just trying to get through that, yeah. per, that period of time. And so the body will take a lot of that on and the nervous system will pattern a little bit to get us through as long as we can. You know, the problem is that if, if we're in it for long enough, if it's not, it's not just a couple hours yeah. during your day, if it's like weeks that's on right. end, then, you know, like I went through it starting a new business. Like it's, those are really, really challenging periods of time. And then the, suddenly the nervous system becomes patterned a certain way and you have to, you know, dysregulate back, back to try to find yeah, you know, your, 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 sure. your balance again. And and it happens right. in all sorts of different ways, right? I mean, the fact that we can, that we can pass babies through our bodies to grow them and pass babies through our bodies. And then the body can readjust, you know, and, and find some yeah. semblance of order again is just freaking amazing. But you know we're we're not very kind culturally to you know especially to women but to 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 our bodies and and what the the, the work that they actually do is right because we strive for perfection in form right yeah. yeah and when you've had a baby and your body changes and it no longer looks the same way you feel incredible amounts of pressure and shame to modify to get back to where you were yeah and you're doing some I think some amazing work showing that, you know, really, really exposing yourself in that way and saying like, this is my, my body, you know, three children in at 44 mm. and, and showing how you're, you know, learning to get back to loving the, the, the place that you're in now with your body. I mean, we're all going through this, you know, 
process, but yeah. I think women go through it a little bit harder through those through their 30s and 40s than than men do. Yeah, and I mean, I think women. I, I'm raising three daughters. I don't know about you, but I've got. I have, I have a daughter, daughter and a son. Yeah. How old is your How old are your children? Uh, Eighteen and almost eleven. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> yeah, they start body dysmorphia when they're eight. Yeah. These girls. Um, I don't ever remember being a teenager and giving a shit about my body. And in fact, I grew up in a house where we had no scales and I'm raising my girls in a house with no scales. My mom never talked about calories. She never talked about counting. She never talked about diets. Um, I wouldn't say that she's like amazingly body positive. I just don't, that's not, she didn't, she didn't put her energy in that yeah. now she happens to be like dropped dead gorgeous and super skinny. So maybe she didn't feel the pressure to who knows. Right. right? Because she met that standard, that awful cultural standard. Yeah. Um, because I have a lot of friends who were raised in really toxic homes with parents who were so toxic about that body. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm raising three daughters, body dysmorphia starts at age eight. My children all have friends who are already anorexic bulimic. Some of them are in treatment centers at the age of like 13. Um, My nieces and nephews around the world have eating disorder. And disordered eating doesn't have to be anorexia and uh, bulimia. It can just be watching like any sort of counting what you eat is disordered eating. If you look at a label that is disordered eating, um, and I take a very extreme approach to that. And so in my home with my daughters, like we never, and I'm a fitness teacher, right? We don't talk about weight. We don't talk about size. We, and still they think about it all the time. Yeah, it's the culture. Right? It's, yeah. Yeah. So I don't think it actually starts in their 30s, 40s. I think, you know, I think, I think that having children can just make it so much worse because then the pressure to bounce back. Yeah. And I think that social media is like so toxic for for women, it's probably it, for all people. It's hard. Yeah, no, no doubt. It is really hard. And I do try to show like my realities and my body and what I'm going through and my thought processes about it yeah. um, to normalize and just to try to create more self-love yeah. and self-acceptance. Yeah, I think it's very empowering. Because a lot of my clients, yeah, a lot of my clients struggle with like, they're, when when somebody has a diastasis recti or a prolapse, they are deeply struggling with the emotional, with the like confidence side of it. Yeah, yeah. On top of everything. Yeah. So so back to back to prolapse. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, explain what that you know what, what is happening there from a physiological perspective, and maybe what it yeah. feels like. Because I think there are people who are walking around sometimes with that, and maybe they have maybe they have, have no inco- incontinence issues or yeah. something, and they're not sure why yeah. why they're having it. Yeah, I mean, I have clients who are like, oh, I've had that for 20 years. I had no idea it was a thing, <laughs> um, which is probably a good thing, right? Because they're just fine with it, yep. right? They're fine with it. Um, so prolapse is interesting because if you talk to the medical establishment, what they'll say is that your organs are falling out. But like nothing in our body falls out. Like right. your eyeballs don't fall out. Right. If you go upside down and do a handstand, you're not losing your eyeballs. Um, if you sprain your ankle, your foot doesn't fall off. Your patella doesn't just dislodge off your body when you have a knee injury. Um, but somehow the uterus falls out, right? Like when it comes to a woman's body, the uterus is falling out and the client's experience is that something has fallen and they're spoken to that way. And if you Google prolapse, you see the word fall almost immediately. So it's really hard to like start to explain that like the way I view it. So I take a more tensegrity approach and okay. kind of less of a biomechanical approach and more of a tensegrity approach. And I see it as a shift of the organs that the organs are shifted. They're no longer where they were. They've shifted. Yeah. Maybe they're shifted lower. Yeah. Maybe you can see, you know, your uterus in your vagina, but it still doesn't mean that it's falling out. It means yeah. that it's changed positions. Um, and that can be a result of, um, like a forceps delivery, a vacuum delivery. Uh, it can be a result of, um, of, um, like hours and hours and hours of pushing. I have tons of clients with prolapse who've never had a baby. Um, it can be from so many different things It can be from vaginal scar tissue can actually mask as a prolapse. Mm. Um, scar tissue can pull organs out of place. Um, the shifting of 
kind of uterus and then the ligaments can pull things out of place. Um, I don't normally go into the whys because I don't think it's relevant. Like I think it's interesting and like relative, but not necessarily relevant for the healing. The healing, we do the same thing no matter how you got there. Um, So what can happen with a prolapse though is that people then – the pelvic floor will tighten and tighten and tighten and tighten. So often we'll have like a hypertonic pelvic floor situation and a prolapse. And then you can also get incontinence because that hypertonic pelvic floor can then lead to incontinence because in order to be continent, um, your muscles need to do this. Like your pelvic floor needs to be able to do that. And if it's not going through that excursion of tightening and then um, responding, if it's not responding, let's put it that way. And it's not acting as a shock absorber and like a pressure mitigation system that it is, um, then you can get incontinence. So sometimes you get this trifecta where people have like um, an incontinence and a prolapse and a hypertonic pelvic floor, but it's all the same thing. Right. And what we do with treatment is the first thing is we try to figure out where's the pressure. Like what is causing excess pressure on the system? Like if I squeeze a water balloon, the bottom will bulge out. So I can either try to do something to the bottom or I can find the squeeze and let the squeeze go. And so really tight upper body, really hunched over shoulders. Like imagine you can feel it in your own body. If you exhale and pull your ribs together and hunch your shoulder, even as a man, you will feel your perineum bulge. And so, and lack of spinal mobility will cause bulging into your perineum. Is that what people feel usually that that, that pressure down there? Yeah, they'll feel like a... They'll feel, it'll feel like a tampon is like just kind of falling out. Yeah. It can also just feel really um, painful. And then depending on your type of prolapse, it, it, like with a rectocele, for example, which is a posterior prolapse, mm-hmm. it, it will be hard to actually have a good uh, bowel movement. Yeah, yeah. And people will have to splint from their vaginal canal to create more integrity. Yeah. And through the colon and you know the whole anal canal to to have a bowel movement, so it can be it's it's dicey. It's it can be incredibly uncomfortable on so many levels. And, and then, is there a relationship then to getting back to the work that you do with the core? Is there a relationship with the the body's ability to to you know sort of hold the integrity of the you know transverse abdominal area or just kind of basic stabilization there? With that tightness, I mean, can can it be difficult to to get those abdominal muscles? I mean, certainly rectus abdominis, but and other other abdominal muscles to to fire when you have that tightness down there. It's a good question. I mean, I always tell people if you're getting up and you're standing up, like your core is working great. We love yeah. to be like, you have a weak core, and you don't because you just got vertical, so you can't be that weak in your core. Okay. You know, um, so it's more about like. Uh, what pattern, I like to think of it like if there's a huge snowstorm, you live in Minneapolis, <laughs> I live in my, it's actually raining right now. If there's a huge snowstorm or a big hurricane and the path that I take every day to get to my deli, you probably don't have a deli anymore and I don't have a deli anymore, but if we lived <laughs> in New York City, we would. And we all depend heavily on our deli yep. and you can't get to your deli for like your creamer or whatever that you need. It's good to have five other ways to get in. And generally people with And that's what we want with our body. We want five different ways to get from point A to point B. Yeah. So when we have an injury in our body, it's not that the core is weak. It's that the core has a preferential pattern that is probably no longer serving them. So it's really about creating, as opposed to like getting your core strong, is your core responsive? I know it's firing because you're standing up, but how is it doing that? And a lot of my, the people I work with are very oblique dominant. They utilize, Uh, especially if they've done Pilates, right? They're really utilizing this, like this, the rib cage, they're pulling it. And that's just creating more intra-abdominal pressure and more downward pressure. Um, So it's not that they're not using their core. It's just that how they're using their core needs to be a little bit um, reworked. And yes, I mean, it's all connected. If the pelvic floor is so tight, generally the lower abdominals will be inhibited. And so we're just looking to, again, get more response. Yeah. So the same with the diastasis recti. Yeah. Um, for, for one, I think there's probably some correlation, I'm guessing, there between w- when someone's yeah. having challenges there and pelvic floor yeah. dysfunction. Yeah. And can yeah, you also yeah, kind yeah, of explain sure. 
what the what the testing is like. I know there's there's different ways to kind of think about what that what that diastasis or that splitting of, of, yeah. of, of that area is can be deeper, it can be shallow, That's it can right. be wider. So can you yeah. kind of explain how testing is done and how you know for someone who's especially someone who's been through pregnancy, but I see men with it too, you know. Oh, uh, I have so many male clients <clears throat> with diastasis recti. Yeah. Yeah. It's so common. I actually created a program for men called Dudes with DR. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I see it so much. So di- diastasis recti. So we have these two, we have uh, what's known as the six pack muscle, yeah. This yeah. Is like the rectus abdominis, right? And it connects together at the center line to a long tendinous sheath called the linea alba. So muscle, muscle, like one right side, left side, they don't attach to each other. They attach to a big tendinous sheath for lack of a better word. And what happens is that those, um, uh, you get a splitting or a tearing or a widening of that tendinous sheet. So the muscles themselves don't get injured. It's right. the, it's like having an ankle sprain, yeah. you, you know, most actually most injuries in the body happen in the soft tissue and not in the muscles themselves. Right. So it's happening in the soft tissue. And so the muscles, the six pack are separating from the midline so where once they were very close to the midline, they're getting further and further apart. And the way we measure it is how far apart finger yep. width, right? So if, um, if you put your hand in, in the center, how many fingers wide yep. is that gap? Now, for healing purposes, um, generally speaking, you can have, I had a client, she has 10 fingers apart, but she closed it using my program because it wasn't very deep. Yeah. Whereas a whereas I had a client who had three fingers apart, but had a very hard time closing it. It took her years of work because she was so deep in that tear went very, very deep. That thinning went very, very yeah. deep. So that's kind of, and so how you test for it. Um, and I, even though, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm not a PT, I'm not an OT, I'm not going to test your diastasis, don't yeah. ask me, I'm not doing it, yeah. even though I know how to do it. I put my hands on thousands of people's diastasis, yeah, I don't check people. Yeah. And I tell people, that's not, it's out of scope for what I do. Um, you can either test yourself or go to the professional who does it. I'm also not going to give you like, you know, colonoscopy. Um, <laughs> so, but basically you test by doing a very small abdominal curl yeah. off the floor and you want to see in that midline if the if there's tension, if that midline can stiffen yeah. the way tendons ideally should stiffen. If your fingers drop way back in towards like their belly, then it's not stiffening. Yeah. The thing about a diastasis is that people have this dream of closing the gap. That's not in my work. That's not the goal. The goal is to create that tension down the midline again. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really care if your diastasis is still two fingers. Functional to me is are you able to transfer load? And when you can transfer load, it that, that stiffens. If you're not able to really transfer load appropriately and get that stiffening of the center line, then, then we're, to, you know, sometimes the diastasis doesn't close. You need surgery. Right. I mean, one of the most successful surgeries out there is also hernias. Sometimes you can't close a hernia on your own and yeah. surgery is like a great option. And, surgery yeah. is not always the worst thing in the world. And, and where, where do people tend to see the most, the, the, the biggest, in, in terms of maybe depth or width, with, with this diastasis? Is it, is it closer to the, like the, the rib cage? The is it belly button? Yeah. Yeah. Around <laughs> the belly button and a few inches higher. Okay. It can extend all the way up. It yeah. doesn't normally go below the belly button just because of how the rectus sheath is and yeah. the abdominal, the, the fibers of the abdominal wall. And how it runs with the rectus sheath is usually belly button and higher, but it can be slightly lower. The belly button is the hardest place because it's circular and the fibers there are circular. So I will often tell people, don't stress about your belly button having a big gap in it still. Like that's going to take the longest. And, you know, sometimes it can just take years of loading. Tissues take time. Tissues take time to re to rebuild and to lay down collagen and to you know whatever they do right all yeah. that that whole process that they do it takes time and it takes load yeah. so like lying on your back and doing nothing is not going to get you there right and laying on your back and doing sagittal plane movements is not going to get you there so you've got to cross the body you've got to cross the midline if you yeah. really want to create those closures you've got to move into three planes yeah so the program I created I was very frustrated seeing like all my 
patients, all my clients coming to me with like lying on their back and doing dead bug. I was like, that doesn't mimic life at all. <laughs> right, I know. I, <laughs> Actually, I, like we twist and we side bend. Like, exactly. I, mean, I, I use the floor. I, I tell people I use the floor only for teaching purposes to start out with, because I want you to have mm-hmm. that. I want you to have that plane. I want you to understand what things yeah. are like from that plane. And then we're going to get you up and then we're going to get you in tilted positions. We're going to start yeah. working so that you understand when you're leaning into the car to get your child out of the car seat how are you using your body, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like I have clients with severe SPD who are doing great until they actually have to like get out of a car. And I'm like, you're not doing great if a normal human movement brings your injury back in. Yeah. So yeah. there's something wrong with what you're training because you're not, you're training for lying on your back, which if that's what you want to do all day, go for it. But yeah. most of us want to be active. So you've got to train for that. Which which brings me to one, one more thing. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but let's talk about glutes for a second. <laughs> I think yeah. I, I, I think in terms of I think one one of the things I notice most of the time when people have either, you know, SI joint problems, lower back problems, even a lot of chronic, you know, sort of thoracic and upper upper back and neck issues, is that they're they're really weak in their glutes or they're just so dominant in their in their quads and hip flexors that they can't even get those muscles to fire. Yeah. I mean, so I like to see things as systems. It's like when people are like, what do you think about the psoas? I'm like, I don't know. The same thing I think about the biceps. Like it's part of a system. It's part of like a chain of muscles. You know, so we allocate a lot of importance to the glutes, which I get. They're a pelvic floor muscle because they help pull the um, sacrum back. And the pelvic floor wall attaches to the base of the sacrum and the sides of the sacrum. And if the sacrum is kind of stuck in this very, you know, like very... um, you know, counter nutation or whatever, it's a problem, right? It can be a problem. Yeah. So the glutes are great because they're a pelvic floor muscle. They're also a hip extensor. And when our hips don't extend, we're again, maybe we're stuck in some sort of a tuck, right? So I get it. I understand. I love the glutes. I think they're like such an, they're also a conduit into the thoracic uh, fascia, yeah. right? So they do, they do a lot of great things. However, like you don't have a glute if you, without a hamstring and you don't have a hamstring without the calves and you don't <laughs> right, have calves right. without plantar fascia and you don't have plantar fascia without like the like FDL and HDL. So it's like, it's so interesting how people talk like, and I love your question because it's the glutes are important, but you can't really have a like, fung- like for my clients who have very tight quads, their quads are actually very weak yeah. and they've been told stretch them out. And I'm like, right. you can stretch them or you can actually load them. And if you load them, you're sending that input to the neuro system, the neurological system. The more load you give your quads, the more they're actually going to release. Yeah. They're tight because your brain, your brain's that's a, that's, not That's a very important right one for, for people to understand is that you can get tone in different ways, right? That you, you, people think about stretching as being the only way to get tone from a, from a muscle or from a tendon. Or to get length, right? People are like, I need to be yeah. stretchier. Okay, yeah. well then load. Yeah. Like yeah. if you want your hamstrings to actually be less tight, load them because, and people are like, but, but they're tight, right? But they're not strong. <laughs> and there's yeah. a difference and yeah. muscles that are strong and functional can do, again, these excursions can go through their full ranges of yeah. eccentric, concentric, isometric blends and mixes of all of it. So with the glutes, I integrate a lot of glute work into the work. Like the pelvic floor work that we do is mostly like standing and getting like a lot of activation into the hamstrings, glutes, and calves, uh-huh. right? Because that is a huge influencer on the pelvic floor and core. And if those are inhibited, it's going to be very hard to get that core to be responsive. Yeah, It's like, you know, putting, like deflating a balloon, like just it's impossible to then, if there's an arrow in the middle of it, try to blow up that balloon, it's impossible. Yeah. So yeah, the glutes are a big part of it, but it, rather than talking about single muscle like single muscles, I love to talk about kind of muscle yeah. systems. And, and, and that's that one, whole, yeah. one of the things I always thought was when, when I was learning core work, I, I felt like they got so, you know, focused on just the front of the body. And yeah. I started to realize that there are these opposing forces between like the glutes and the abdominals. And yeah. and then even, even in terms of the core, I think of like some of these shoulder muscles, you know, serratus muscles that are coming around to kind of hold the integrity of the shoulder to the, to the rib cage. Right. As being all part of this, this core that, you know, really the core goes up into the underneath the shoulder blades and goes all the way down yeah. into the pelvis. And, and I, and, and so the glutes I would consider to be part of that too. Yeah, and it all goes back to this idea, like, what's the cultural perception of the core is a six-pack. <laughs> what's yes. the functional, well, yeah, right. But like, right? And the glutes, too. Like, now everybody's getting, like, nice glute implants, right? So, like, 
to have like because like the like the bigger the better, right? Yeah. And so there's so much focus on building glutes, but I think there's very little understanding. Like, and the same people who want to like have big, huge glutes are then going and putting on heels and walking around everywhere, inhibiting their glutes all day long. So yeah. they're going to the gym and working them, and then putting on heels, which inhibits them, which is fine. Listen, you're on this planet in and out. Do whatever you want with that time that you're here. It's a flash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be my guest. You want to wear your heels? Go for it. But it's just so interesting. I see these like big fitness people talking about the glutes as the powerhouse, but then again, um, why are you wearing heels all day long if they're so important to you? If your glutes are so important to you, right? Yeah. Are they only important for that hour that you're in the gym? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You can overdevelop any any body part, and and you know the the there's always yeah. this there's always this balancing act, which is you know going back to your work and what I see you doing is kind of looking looking at things as as a whole and saying you know one of the things that you had in one of your videos that I thought was really important was talking about with with the hips when you know when when we're having like sciatica or SI joint issues to stretch the piriformis and to stretch into those you know do deep stretches into the hips which we know actually is is probably going to just aggravate things more what we need to do in those situations is actually move the move the body and the the, the more sort of full range of engagement we have the the less the body is going to be in some position out of right. alignment where it's going right. to over, overly tighten and and cause these like problems. can we just restore ranges like yeah. can we just focus that's on restoring ranges and then building more tone if that's what you want right yeah. yeah like I go to the gym every day and part of it is I like to have tone I love I love building my muscles I like you know for me aesthetically I appreciate the way my arms look when they've got more tone but I'm really focusing on restoring function and then like and restoring action and then the tone is coming with that right? right yeah so so tell me tell me uh quick i'm gonna i'm gonna have some show notes up for you so people can get links to all your stuff but just yeah. for, for anybody who's who's looking for you know to, to maybe spend a little time on something very specifically tell t tell me the, the the programs that you have set up already yeah so the program for rehab is called restore your core and it's a 12-week program that you own for life so you don't have to do it in 12 weeks. Yep. Um, and it's uh, really a three-dimensional dynamic approach to core rehabilitation. Yep. We won't be doing a lot of lying on our back, sagittal, like single plane movements. Although, like you said before, we progress. Um, it's, and then the a lot of people, when they feel much more confident and rehabilitated and good, they move on to my uh, on-demand platform. So I do have an on-demand workouts, which is just a lot less instruction and a lot more workout. Yeah. And I also have a prenatal program uh, called One Strong Mama that is by in part run by my amazing partner, Lindsay McCoy. I'm kind of on the side. I was very involved in, I'm stepping away from it, but it's still yeah. my baby. I mean, yeah. I started it and I'm a big part of it. Um, so those are my main programs. And I do a teacher training for any practitioner or non-practitioner who just wants to dive much deeper into core and pelvic floor. And it's a whole body training. So you yeah. learn about gait and analyzing gait, the feet, like we're, you know, we focus on the core, like as just part of the whole body system. That's great. Yeah. And I, th I think the, 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 the prenatal work I, I was, I got to do a lot of just because you and I happened to be in Brooklyn when the, like the baby boom happened and just responding to like right. what the community was in need of. And, and, and what I saw from seeing people, you know, do these kinds of programs was kind of amazing just to see how quickly people bounce back from pregnancies because they basically had done a lot of work through it. And, you know, it's, there's some ups and downs yeah. because sometimes people's first trimester is a little rough and usually, yeah. usually they have a nice, you know, period in the middle where they can kind of do a little more work. And then if they do that work, a lot of times that the last trimester, I mean, I worked with people doing like balance board, you know, stuff at, at nine months, you know, it's like, you know, you can one thousand percent. So, so, so that I, I'm, I'm glad that 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 exists. And part of the reason I wanted to talk to you too is to like make sure people knew this information was out there. You, you have it more organized than I see a lot of people doing it. So, very, very excited. And I've, I've stepped away a little bit from doing so much of the movement work just because I'm being called on more for, you know, work with babies with craniosacral work and kind of working with. You a lot more. were like the baby whisperer of Brooklyn, like which is really <laughs> that funny. That was everyone knew you <laughs> as the baby whisperer. I would send people your way all the time yeah. oh call it go see jeremy <laughs> yeah and, and it's so funny because I, I i'm still known as that more than anything else of course uh, and and i you and i so had no i had no plans of even working with babies i just got brought in through some midwives and 
they yeah. they were in need of help, and I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can, you know, be be helpful. And then I had to go back and you know study pediatric work because I had no plans of doing that work. But now I love, I, I love it. I love being able to. I you know, I, and a lot of those babies that I worked with, you know, I still have um, some some that I treat now who are like 15, 16 years old. I'm sure. Yeah, because my kids are that age, and yeah. I remember considering bringing them to you. Yeah. So that's amazing. Well, thank you for having me today. Oh, it's it nice so, talking to so you. great to reconnect. Yeah, absolutely. I want to. I want to text you about. I'm going to New York now about who I should see for my SI joint. All right, we'll we'll say. I you need. Up. I need that good. Yeah, I need that good <laughs> adjustment. All right, thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jeremy. Lauren O'Han, folks. My hope with this conversation is that if you're struggling with a health challenge related to your core or pelvic floor, like hip or lower back pain, diastasis recti, incontinence, constipation, digestive issues, or any mobility challenges, that you seek resource to improve your current state. Lauren and I are both examples of how we can heal and get back to full function, even when it seems like surgery is the only option. And sometimes surgery truly is the best option. People often come to someone like me or other forms of physical therapy before resorting to surgery. And in most instances, through mobility work, strengthening, and manual therapy, we can bring back full function. But there are times when a muscle or tendon tear is in need of repair, and a joint is worn to a point of needing replacement. What I like about Lauren's programs is how thought out they are and how safe they are to start. I think much of this comes from her own healing journey and the thousands of people she's helped in her one-on-one practice and through her programs. To learn more, check out RestoreYourCore.com and for pre- and postnatal support, OneStrongMama.com. I highly recommend following her on Instagram and YouTube as well, and those links will be in the show notes. You can also check her out on our website, Highway2.Health. Don't forget, many of these episodes are also live on our YouTube channel at Highway to Health Podcast if you'd like to see the faces behind the conversations, and you can watch me have this conversation with Lauren if you'd like a second listen. And if you love the resource that you get here on Highway to Health, consider becoming a health amplifier today. While this project is a labor of love, it requires funding to continue to build and stay true to our mission. You may have noticed we have no annoying ads and are not bombed by corporate interests, but that means we do need your support, which you can provide for the price of a cup of coffee once a month by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. And you can find that link here in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.